You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's time for the unofficial 40. Soonerscoop.com's very official recruiting podcast featuring Soonerscoop.com recruiting publisher Josh McQuistian. Get your recruiting fix from the leader in Sooner Recruiting. It's the unofficial 40 with your hosts, Soonerscoop.com publishers Carrie Murdoch and Josh McQuistian. Welcome back. It is time for another edition of the Unofficial 40. We're joined also by Eddie Radosevich, along with Carrie and Josh. It's Eddie Radosevich. It's Joe DeBall. And, uh, boy, bowl prep is underway. Sooners uh, going through finals this week, so it's a little bit light in terms of preparing for Auburn. They're going to start on that on Saturday. But uh, everybody getting done with their finals. And, uh, really, it is the season outside of recruiting. It's the biggest season for the NFL draft entrance and. Uh, so far, guys, Eddie, uh, you've been talking to guys yesterday. Joe, you've been at practices this week. It's been a huge win for Oklahoma on the uh, NFL returning from the draft uh, game, recruiting game, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it was it was a lot of really good news for Oklahoma, I, I think. When you consider that you, they're already going to get Baker back, he announced that after the Bedlam game, and then Orlando Brown uh, kind of confirmed that with you on, uh, was that Tuesday? Yeah. That was that was like a harmony almost. Well, here right? is I tell you, here's Orlando Brown talking about it. I know Jamal came out on Twitter and said you're not going anywhere. Is that is that the official Orlando Brown? Yeah, yeah, word to you? Yeah, what he says goes, man. And, you know, I'm gonna be <laughs> Oklahoma sooner until you know I'm a first got a first round grade, and you know until then I'm here. You know, so however long that takes. Did you already get your grade? Uh, no, no, I haven't. No, I didn't. I didn't send it in this year. Really? Yeah. No, I didn't think it was important, man. You know, coming out this year wasn't wasn't a big thing for me. I still got a lot of work to do. Was that a decision? How I mean, was that a hard decision to come to? I mean, everybody kind of wants to know what what their what their grade yeah. is. No, man, it wasn't hard for me. You know, it's just like understanding, you know, what they look for in the NFL, and you know, basically what I'm good at and what I'm bad at, and understanding I still have a lot to develop on, and I'm nowhere near where I need to be to be a first round draft pick, and that's why I came here. Now there's there's Orlando Brown. Yesterday, uh, Jordan Thomas, Eddie got to be the one to ask the question to Jordan Thomas. Of it was nice. Uh, he'd already announced that you know he was coming back on Twitter, but it was the first time he got a chance to talk to the media. Uh, and here's Mr. Radosevich and Jordan Thomas talking about coming back. Um, just, a, just a lot of unfinished business here with my, my teammates, and I had a lot of personal goals that I didn't achieve. Uh, you know, I, I didn't play as well as I, I wanted to, and at the same time, it was just a decision that you know I had to make for myself, and I had to understand that if uh, I'm not ready right now to you know play, the, if I'm not the best of the best in college, I'm not ready to go to the to the league or to declare for the draft. Excuse me. How much did uh, that decision be helped by Baker coming back? I know it's a different side of the ball, but there seems to be a lot of guys coming back on the offensive side. Yeah, uh, no, nah, Baker's one of my really, really good friends. And once he figured out he got his year back, he's been in my ear about staying. You know, JT, stay, stay, stay. So I'm like, all right, uh, I'll think about it, I'll think about it. Uh, but, you know, um, <laughs> he says a lot of good things. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we, we just got a lot of a lot of big plans, not only for each other, not only for ourselves, but for us as a, as a whole entire team. Uh, and you got to talk to Jordan. I I wouldn't I wasn't over there talking to him yesterday, but yeah. just overall, I mean, we talked to him before Bedlam, and and I it was interesting because you're always kind of trying to gauge where his head is. Like, is he out? You know, does he have one foot out the door? I never thought he had one foot out the door, but at the same time, it's Jordan Thomas. I can't. Fi- I've never been able to figure that kid out. I mean. He's super smart kid, uh, trouble off the field. I don't know who he really is. Uh, so I, I guess I was just, I was wondering, like, could he maybe? I, I thought there was a chance that he could probably leave. Yeah, and I, I definitely get the feeling that, you know, just talking with him and even uh, a guy like Oba, who I don't think 
really had that that big of a decision if he was going to come back or not. But uh, just talking to those guys, I really think that you're getting the tone out of the OU locker room is just something along the lines of they're really selling that they can come back and be really special next season in 2017. And I think that, uh, you know, I think Baker kind of nailing his decision down and getting that out before everybody has really kind of helped everything. And, uh, you know, even with uh, a guy like Lincoln Riley making it known that he's coming back, I think that is probably just as as big huge, as yeah. anything that they've gotten. Well, here is Baker talking about uh, all the recruiting that he's been doing since he announced he was going to come back, including his offensive coordinator. Now, I'm not talking about kids in high school. I'm talking about your offensive coordinator, your uh, left tackle. You got a couple of running backs I know you're still working on. Yeah, uh, we'll see. You know, um, Orlando's coming back, and so uh, it's great. Coach Riley, too. I mean, Two big pieces. Uh, I mean, you talk about the whole front line. We got eight linemen coming back. That was a big factor in my decision. So, uh, you know, realizing that, you know, just like I said, it's a whole mindset. If we put the pieces together, we'll have a great shot at running for a national title. So, I mean, all those guys realize that. And so, you know, all I have to say is that I'm coming back and they know how I feel. I'm, they have to make the best decision for them. Uh, what do you say to them, in particular, Samaje and Joe, to, to get them to come back another year? I mean, you talk to them, tell them you're there for them if they ever want to talk, that I'm here to listen. But they know how I feel. They, they know I want them to come back and play with me for another year. Just the type of guys they are, the type of special players they are. I'd love to have them. But when it comes down to it, that's their decision. And I'll support them no matter what. I just get a feeling like Baker's just like, he's like the mob boss. Like, yeah. you don't say no. Uh, he gives everyone an offer they can't refuse. I think when you leave the room, he's like, leave the gun, take the cannoli. Yeah. I mean, it's just like he, he, he's got Jedi mind tricks or something. Well, I, I just think that there's a lot of people that like being around him, and I think that he uses that to his advantage that uh, he, he can kind of – he has pull with these guys, and he can, he can say things that others can't, I, I think, and I think he's really trying to build it up into this being one big run at a, at a legitimate national championship in 2017. And, you know, with that said, I think that if they're going to put all the cards on the table, they better go all in. And they're not getting P. Ryan back, though. I can't no, see that. No, I don't think P. Ryan's coming back, but I think there's a chance that, you know, another guy comes back named Joe Mixon. Yeah. yeah. And I think you can hear Jordan Thomas basically hints at this, almost says it explicitly that the conversations that he had with Baker, it sounds a lot like what they're talking about is, hey, you come back next year. A lot of us come back. We have a huge season. Then that helps us all. Be, we all get more All-American honors. We're going to be higher picks. We can all kind of help each other out by coming back and that's kind of what I got from what Jordan Thomas was saying and then Baker Baker does do that thing where he kind of talks in that low you know you seem crazy and excited and dancing on the field but when he talks to the media it's just kind of like this I know what I'm doing just see me. and it used to come off as condescending but he's gotten a lot better about that like he's he's I think he's kind of he kind of gives a little bit more now than he used to but it, he used to kind of have that Eric Stryker thing of uh you know Eric Stryker described it as he took every question as an accusation. I think Baker's finally stopped doing that because I've enjoyed interviewing him this year, and I can't really say that I did last year. He just had such a chip on his shoulder. You're just like, man, can you just can you just answer a question like a normal human being? Well, he knows that he had a really good year. I think it helps when you have the type of year that Baker yeah. had. He went to New York City, and he's probably more comfortable around the media. Yeah, you know, after what he went through at Tech. And transferring to OU, and I think he's finally getting comfortable a little bit in his own skin again. I think those guys are also savvy about who they're talking to in the media and the questions they're getting about when, because sometimes they can be defensive, and Baker can be defensive if he gets the wrong question from like the wrong person. But it, it he seems to have built uh, relationships with you guys, and Carrie, uh, you always get good conversations out of him. I've really enjoyed. I wasn't around as much last year, but this year I've always enjoyed Baker talking. He's he and Orlando Brown, both uh, guys we talked to the other day that were really, they're really honest. They're very open guys. Yeah, there was something I wanted to, uh, I wasn't going to play this, but I wanted to, and I'm sorry, Josh uh, is with us as well. Just uh, pretend listening. We, we actually, I went through this whole rigmarole before the show started. I hooked up my uh, MacBook. I got Skype running. Like we have this ongoing thing, like Josh can't hear our audio because I've somehow screwed up our settings. Uh, he can hear us talk to him, but when we play audio out of our computer, he can't hear it. So I thought I had it figured out. I was like, we fixed it. We made Josh sit around for like 30 minutes while I fixed it. And then 
I'd say, Josh, listen, you can you can you can hear the audio. And uh I played it and I said, Josh, could you hear that? Josh? And then I screwed it up where we couldn't hear Josh talk. Josh is laughing. Which which may be an added benefit, you know. I mean, like really there there may be people out there behind that idea. So I but yeah, the Baker stuff. It's really bizarre because I mean, this is the, they're they're going back to the Sugar Bowl. I think we all can remember what happened last time. Oh, you went to the Sugar Bowl, right? Forty-five thirty-one. Is that what that was? Look at you, stat man. Boom. That was the. I did write an article about this, so I knew that was the score. But you think about it, Baker Mayfield. During that Sugar Bowl, he had decided, "Oh, I'm going to transfer to Oklahoma. I don't care about you know the 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 conference rule, all that stuff. I'm just going to go." And he'd already made up his mind. Then you watch the Sugar Bowl, and what is Trevor Knight? I think it was 348 yards, four touchdowns. He out becomes, of body experience. He yeah. becomes Mister Heisman front runner during the off season because of that 45-31 victory over Alabama. I mean, and you got to think like, God, what, what, how dumb does Baker Mayfield feel right now? I I remember when somebody posted on the board like, hey, I think I've heard that Baker Mayfield's coming. I remember literally posting something as far as I have a better chance of playing quarterback at Oklahoma or something <laughs> like that. And then I think I went back and deleted it after checking with Josh. He was like, eh, I think there might be a chance of this. If you jump from that moment to this moment now, it would be insane. Because Baker Mayfield was almost a joke nationally at that point. He had kind of, He had left Texas Tech... That didn't go well. He was transferring to Oklahoma. But it didn't Tra- go well. He was the Big 12 Well, it didn't go well the transfer. Of the year. No, the, but I'm saying the, the separation from Texas Tech. Okay, the, the, I got you. The, him and Cliff Kingsbury, there was fighting there. They kind of portrayed him as this cocky kid who came in and couldn't fit in. He transfers to Oklahoma. Trevor Knight has a huge game, and you're thinking, this kid, he's never going to get it. He's never going to fit in anywhere. And now, uh, look at him. He, if, he, if he finishes – here's another stat for you, Kerry. If he finishes in the top four in the Heisman next year, he'll be the first person to do that three straight years – since Herschel Walker at Georgia. The, the, the best thing that happened to Baker Mayfield is that he had to sit out a year mm-hmm. because Trevor Knight got to come back down to earth. OU came back down to earth. Eight and five, whatever. But all of, I'm setting all this up because I want to play this audio. I'd asked Baker kind of about this whole situation, uh, and I thought he was great. I mean, it's everything that you want to hear from Baker Mayfield. It is why he's so confident, why he believes in himself, uh, who he is as a competitor. but I, And I wrote a story about it, but this is just him and his own words in us talking about that, you know, coming back from the Sugar Bowl and knowing that Trevor Knight was there. You look at, uh, across the country at high school kids and, you know, especially quarterbacks, and they're, they're always looking for the perfect situation. You know, guy graduate, I can fill in here. The way that you approach it, though, you're just talking about, I mean, you come in a place where a guy is going to be a Heisman Trophy candidate the next year. You end up winning the job. You're just coming back from New York. Is it just, does it make you proud that you kind of take that route when other people are kind of looking for a way to fit in? Yeah. I mean, you can have things given to you and you could learn nothing along the way or you could earn it and learn a whole lot. And that's that's the kind of mindset, which is why I'm proud of where I've come from and the challenges I've faced and it's not over. I'm nowhere near close to where I want to end up at but you know I, I think it's the road that makes somebody it's not it's not where you're at it's how you got there that's why you see I mean take just the Heisman ceremony for instance I mean you talk about Lamar and Jabril's roads uh, I mean how how many challenges they faced uh, you know it, it makes somebody grow up a little bit faster makes them you know become a man you go go through stuff that you face adversity and it shapes your character it actually it reveals it, it doesn't shape it but you know you, you see what what you're made of and if you're scared to compete then uh, life's not fair so just just get ready for a, you know a rude awakening and josh you know to me in in you being more in it maybe you're not going to agree with me but i just feel like quarterback recruiting is broken and it's been broken for a long time in that schools are held hostage taking one quarterback every year and if that guy doesn't pan out, I mean, there's so much pressure on a school to, to, to pick the right quarterback and to develop him that if you have a couple of years where you don't do that, you are totally screwed. I don't think there's any question. I mean, you look at Texas. What, what was their problem? I mean, if Shane Bouchelle comes in in Charlie Strong's first year, 
Charlie Strong's probably still the head coach at Texas right now. I mean, he finally found a quarterback. It was just too late. And so I, I don't think there's any question that if you don't have that situation settled and you don't, I mean, like, you're going to take a quarterback every year. But I think when you look at it, I think most staffs would be pretty honest from, you know, in a, a two to three year range, you know who the quarterback is that you think that's our guy down the line. You know, this is the guy, you know, maybe we've got a year in there where somebody else plays or something else happens. But this is the guy we kind of think is going to be our guy. And if you're wrong about that and you kind of tailor things to him and kind of build things in a way that you think are going to suit him, you'll pay. Has there ever been – can you think of any – well, let me – and see what I'm saying is kids that are in high school, they, they have the ability to slot themselves into the perfect situation. They can look like – you know, Chris Robinson right now, I mean, before all the extra year came, it was like he could look at OU and say, okay, that Baker Mayfield kid, uh, I know who he is, but he has one more year left of playing, and then he has to leave. And, you know, then the Kyler Murray stuff happened, but Austin, I mean, like Austin Kendall doesn't scare away a kid in high school that's a, you know, top 100, top 250 guy. So it's like the quarterbacks have all the power. They can just slot themselves in in a program and find the perfect spot, whereas... If Oklahoma doesn't have Sam Bradford coming in, you know, right behind Brett Bomar, I mean, how screwed were they? I mean, they they were gonna have to they were gonna have to uh, play out with uh, Keith Nickel as their quarterback, who strangely enough lost out to Sam Bradford and Kirk Cousins. Yeah, and in college, thinking about that, it makes you realize kind of how special. Bob Stoops is running the Big 12 has been because he's stolen a couple of Big 12 championships in transition years. The Paul Thompson year, right. Paul Thompson year, he steals one, and then the year with you know he plays Kendall and Thompson, Blake Bell, and Trevor Knight all in that OSU game, and they still win the Big 12. But for the most part, they they still need that you need somebody that has stopped that gap. That's a stop gap, and Oklahoma's found that every time. Heupel, White, Bradford, and now Mayfield. And so, you know, what was Texas's last stopgap? Colt McCoy? They haven't had anybody since right. then to stop yeah. the bleeding at Texas. Are you saying Oklahoma has alabama their way through the Big 12 a couple of times? Yeah, and I think that says some good things about Oklahoma, and I think it says some other things about the Big 12. Easy to be the best team of a bunch of nobodies. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it? I set him up, Eddie knocks him down. Uh, so, anyway, I... Yeah, I did ask Baker kind of that same thing. Like, if you're a high school quarterback, should you kind of stop looking for the perfect situation and just go where you want to go and compete and believe in yourself and, and that you'll win the job? And this was kind of his thoughts on it. Do you think more kids need to hear that message? Absolutely. I mean, a lot of it. Uh, you can't help it with these kids nowadays, the social media. they You have to recruit these kids and you have to tell them how good they are, which, I mean, they're good players, but... That's all they hear now, and so uh, that's why when they get here and they're not not happy with situations because you know you got to compete. Yeah, you, you want to come here to play right away. Well, you got to earn it. It's not just going to happen. It's not going to be given to you. So yeah, a lot of things you got to earn. So uh, that's just the message a lot of kids need to realize. And that's why the special ones, when they do come in here with a great mentality to work for it, uh, you see the great ones shine. And Josh, basically, he's Baker's saying there that kids don't want to earn the job anymore. They want to have the job given to him, which I think quarterback recruiting, that's what it's its basically told kids, yeah, you're going to have a job because we're only recruiting one of you every year. You're not going to compete against anybody else in this class, and you get a bunch of guys that don't end up competing. By the way, what did I see Max Brown ended up? Did he get named? He's at Pitt. He's, he's, oh, he's yeah, he transferred to Pitt. Pitt. Yeah. Ooh, he's not good. But uh, here's the other thing, like, Texas Tech, you think of the three quarterbacks that came out of that program, Davis Webb, Baker Mayfield, and Pat Mahomes. Have we ever seen anything like that? They were all on campus at the same time. And not to mention Brewer that was at Virginia Tech as a starter, yeah. too. There, I mean, there's, you can say a lot of things about Cliff Kingsbury. He can, he can identify a quarterback. There's yeah. no doubt about that. I just He can't keep them. He pisses everybody off. Well, I mean, they're not... It's not three, but Sam Bradford and Landry Jones is a pretty sol solid duo to have on same, the same campus for, what, two years? Mm, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not you, – you guys know I'm not Landry Jones' number one fan, but the guy set Big 12 records and is yeah, probably going to end up playing a decade in, in the NFL. Yeah, because he played four years and threw out of empty about half the time. 
That, again, I, I'm not telling you that this. Do you I'm think sorry, Davis Webb's a you superstar? You are never going to give me. Let me. I am never going to allow Landry Jones to have credit <laughs> when I have breath left in my body. That's just the way it's going to go. Uh, Carrie, you know who would totally agree with you, and that's Tiffany. There's no bigger Landry Jones downer than than Tiffany McQuistion. Like after the West Virginia game. Even that crazy play, he makes the great throw. Kenny Stills, everybody wins. Tiffany's like, yeah, he's still like good. Yeah, like she's that dude. Like she's like Debbie Downer of Landry Jones. Like it doesn't matter. He could have won a Heisman. She's like, he's still a bum. Tell like, Tiffany, that, that's just the way she felt. Tell Tiffany to start a Facebook competition for likes, and I'll actually participate in that one. Man, that's harsh. That's harsh. <laughs> we're looking good though. We're up about seventy with Are about really? three hours to go. So yeah, we're we're looking strong. You're only up seventy. You have the power of Sooner Scoop, and you're only up seventy. I only rung the bell once. Like I don't. I didn't want to do that, but like <laughs> that's such. A, it's such a funny thing because I saw it was going to be a likes thing. Uh, for those listening and don't know what we're talking about, my my daughter's uh, preschool had a thing with the elf on the shelf, and whoever took a picture posted on their page and got the most likes, you you got, uh, it's basically a tuition grant is what it works out to. So that's great and all, but the problem is it, I, I saw likes. I was like, I could win this in my sleep if I really want to. But I was like, I don't want to do it that way. I'll try to be fair. Well, this girl shows up and she's got like 90 likes in the first like day. And I'm at like 45 just using my friends on Facebook and that kind of thing. And I was like, screw it. I'm, I'm calling on Sooner Scoop. We, we, they, I got 200 likes in the matter of about 12 hours. Like it was Is amazing. It really and worth now it she's to be still that trying dad? to catch up. You, you wield tremendous power and, it, you, and you used it. Uh, I'm wondering if they're going to change the rules a little bit because I'm guessing she's done pretty well by normal standards and she's nowhere close. Yeah, that's so. kind of like when, when your dad, you know, when you're when you're a Girl Scout and uh, your dad kind of takes it to work every day and you get this tremendous amount mm-hmm. and then you get to the very end and you start comparing notes. I think this was an episode of Friends actually, and. Uh, then all of a sudden you get beat out by like four times the amount of cookies because yep. some girl sent her older sister down to the docks dressed all slutty. <laughs> that, I mean, we had those uh, like those fundraiser things in elementary school that you had. What to, did you sell? It was just we like, sold like some. It was like milk, chocolate, like a, almonds, or something like a like catalog that. of yeah. Christmas stuff. Yeah, that's what, what that's what I yeah. we had, and I mean that was that was cutthroat. That yeah. was like some serious serious stuff. Yeah, I went around my neighborhood yeah, carrying around a wagon and just went door to door, and I thought I did great. And then there's always some girl. To me, it's always some girl who comes up and says, I sold 10,000 things. Like, oh, did you? Did you sell 10,000 things, Lindsay? I don't think you did. Well, you're still harboring a lot of, uh, a lot of And then she legitimately did there. sell 10,000 things, didn't she, Joe? Then he kidnapped her, and you've never heard from her again. Yep. No more Lindsay. Buried her body. No more Lindsay. That was the first time I murdered <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't hom- going to go there, but committed any, homicide, different version of making any, a murderer. Feel free. Um, all right, let me ask you guys. There's a couple of couple of things that we put a bow on this week. I'll just throw this out there for discussion. What did you guys think of the D.D. Uh, Westbrook Tulsa World stuff? Fair. I I thought it was fair. I thought it was. Just awkward that it had been four years or three years since it all happened. Uh, I, I more than anything, I was just surprised that none of I'd never heard anything of of that nature as far as of uh, domestic violence or anything like that. Just given today's times, I feel like that stuff comes out at some point when uh, whether it be on social media or someone posts it on the message board or. Something usually something like that will will see the light of day before it's just completely, I guess, the one brought thing, out of nowhere. The one thing we knew is that he had a really weird incident. Was it over the summer when that happened? Yep. Uh, where he was he was arrested for criminal trespass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I remember on the board thinking, okay, he was in Cameron, Texas. What could you do in Cameron, Texas? Like, was he pond hopping or something? Like fishing, and someone reported him drinking in some field with buddies or something like that. But then you find that it was like really late at night, and you're like, okay, this is bad. And then 
you know, you see a girl's involved. And then you see, the police report on that came out, and you saw that there, the N-word was thrown around and stuff, and you're just like, oh, this was a really racist lady, and he probably was had a relationship with her daughter. Mm-hmm. And that ended up being right. But the, the domestic violence stuff, yeah, that really, that shocked me. And, and yes, I, I am right there with the fans. They're like, look, it's, he wasn't convicted. No, he wasn't convicted. Uh, is it notable that he had been arrested once and that there was another case that, you know, there was a report? Yeah, I mean, it's notable. I mean, the guy just won the Heisman, or the uh, Belitnikov was a Heisman Trophy finalist. That being said, he's been, you know, he's, he's minded his P's and Q's mm-hmm. when he's been at OU. That's part of the shocking part is the reputation he had kind of built with people, a genuine one of being a good guy, good dad, a family man, also very funny in the locker room. Guys seem to really, really like D.D. Westbrook. Uh, not, I mean, players, staff, administration, everybody. So that kind of seemed to catch people off guard. I do want to make sure I have my facts straight here. It's Tulsa World had this information before, correct? It, when did, when, Cody's been working on the story since he'd September had it or in October. October. Yeah, and I think I think that's the the point that people draw most contention. Yeah, with, but right? that's I think that's just people finding something to complain about, like that. Oh, they were they were just waiting to nab him. Mm-hmm. No, I mean this was explained, and I think I talked to Bill Haston about it. I know a lot of those guys at the world. Let's face it: when you're in the middle of the football season and you're a beat writer, there's no time to be you know calling Cameron Texas and and getting court documents and all that stuff. I mean, your your time is not your own during the season. Tulsa World has two beat writers. They've got to file multiple stories every day. Uh, you know, there's there's very little time off. You just don't have time. So once the season was over he started being able to work on it some more and he'd worked on it throughout, but just to write, it was it's essentially a long form story. I mean, it was a, it was a profile. I thought just as a story, it was a pro, it was supposed to be a profile that also added in some kind of disjointed police stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't think it was real cohesive, but I don't have a problem with what was, what was written. The, the, the part that really kind of made me cringe was the, part about how his mom went and talked to the girl and yeah that was not good all of a sudden it you know you kind of you start reading and it show like, up for the yeah that that just kind of i don't know that that muddies the water i, I think a little bit that but makes, apparently they have a relationship now that's all yeah. past them you know that, that they they share custody of the, the children so they've worked it out it's kind of like with the joe mixon stuff you know him going to uh, hospitals and seeing kids that are you know injured it was a the hospital that they went to the other day it was over in Bixby and it was a rehab hospital for kids that had serious injuries it wasn't like a cancer uh, hospital like a children's hospital you know with kids that had you know leukemia or something like mm-hmm. that but the thing about that is people are like oh it's a photo opportunity they're just trying to you know just trying to rehabilitate his image and I'll just say this I think Joe Mixon is the exact type of person that needs to be going to hospitals and seeing kids and getting some perspective on what life is really about. I don't th- I don't see how you could have a problem with that. Uh, and, and I don't... I mean, the, the hospital were the ones that were sending out all the photos on yeah. that stuff. Oh, you didn't really no. publicize it as much. Right. It, it It's one of those situations that I do think that, you know, I think that I even put it in our little scoop uh, group text is... That's the kind of stuff, if you really want to buy into the idea that Joe Mixon's coming back, I think that that kind of, at least for me personally, that kind of started the ball rolling towards that direction even more, more so, I guess. Uh, just getting him out there, I think the next next step would probably be him talking a little bit more to the media. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy that he's been on campus for three years. We have literally never talked to him in Norman, Oklahoma. No. If he comes back, does he have to do that? I mean, is he going to be able to come back and have a whole another year not talking to the media? Look, if OU has why did, why him did back, you why do you come back yeah, if you're not going right. to talk to If OU has him back and he doesn't become, you know, if he wants to be a team captain, which Lincoln Riley said he could see him doing one day, uh, if he wants to be considered a leader of the team along with Baker Mayfield, he has to do media. I mean, he has to he has to represent the team. Yeah, it's, it's the easiest way to get voice to the fans, right? That's kind of what we're there to do, among other things, is to provide a voice back to the fans. And if people don't, people seem to not know who Joe Mixon is or have a good idea of who Joe Mixon is. And if and everything you hear about him from people on the team 
is nothing but great things, that he's a great guy. People like him. We've heard the captain thing. And if that's true, I think it's just time for that to be shown, that 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 personality be transmitted to the fans through the media, because I, I don't think it's it's coming through otherwise, especially, yeah. especially at OU, where the captains are really basically the only guys that we are guaranteed to talk to on a weekly yeah. basis. Yeah. Well, they're, they 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 have the message of the team. And I, I like talking to Baker Mayfield. I like talking to Jordan Evans. I like for the most part, you know. I'm trying to think. Like St- Stephen Parker is really good to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there are guys that are Orlando team captains Brown. that are just not that great to talk to. But yeah, Orlando Brown's great to talk to. But here's the thing about whether it's Mixon or Westbrook or whatever. I hated the fact that all this stuff got rolled up into oh look at look at the lawlessness going on at Oklahoma in 2014 from January until November, and then putting D.D. Westbrook as the cherry on top. Because I that's that's just not true. I mean, I don't think things were going great. I mean, the Frank Shannon stuff was weird. I mean, having to deal with that, I I always thought it was a bad look that he was practicing with the team while he was appealing all that stuff, and it ended up being a non-factor anyway. Because Frank Shannon came back, never played that yeah, year until uh, until uh, Jordan Evans tore his pectoral in the uh, pectoral muscle in the Orange Bowl that he had to play, uh, and he was just out of shape and. And just had too, too much rust from sitting out a year. And he was just never really a factor. The DGB thing, let's face it, that was a Hail Mary. They were hoping that, that they could get Missouri to write them a letter that would let him get eligible immediately because they knew he was either going to play for them immediately or he was going to go, he was going to keep his nose clean and then go to the NFL mm-hmm. first thing. And that's what happened. And then now the mixing thing, that was horrible. That was terrible. I mean, that was that's as bad as it can get, is to have a kid knock out a girl on tape, which may or may not be coming out before the bowl game. I don't know. On campus, even. On campus. And the thing about it is, is yes, he was punished. He sat out a year. But that stuff was never put to bed in that year. If it could have been put to bed in that year, where the tape comes out, everybody has their say. It's like if the tape comes out and it says, oh, that's horrible. Why is he still on the team? Then you could say, well, he's sitting out a year mm-hmm. because of this. And that never happened. It's like people just got to gloss over the fact that he was punished because it was never put to bed. We're sitting here three years later and yeah, still talking still about it. it's still a huge deal. And it still keeps coming up. We all hate it. Yeah. Because it's just reliving it over and over and over again. But you have that. And then the Westbrook stuff happens and it's like oh it's bob stoops and there was the op-ed piece in the school paper about this unsafe campus for women stupid yeah and then you know even brenda tracy was kind of like you know i want to see OU do better yeah and then bob stoops apparently called her and talked to her the whole thing about this is and i've told i've said this on the radio many times i know for a fact that if anything like joe mixon ever happened again because of everything that's happened he wouldn't stay on campus. He wouldn't be punished. He'd just be gone. If that that will never happen again with Bob Stoops at OU. And Bob can't say that because it immediately it immediately points the finger back at Joe Mixon and says, You should be here. So he's not gonna say that. He's not gonna come out and say that. But I can guarantee you, his policy moving forward, you punch a woman and you're a football player at OU, you're done. The I think the and the national argument will probably be if you punch a woman, period, you should probably be done. Right? And then the next one could be what took you so long to have that rule. You know. Well, and here's the thing, and I want to play this. This is Bob Stoops, and he was talking about talking to Brenda Tracy. Uh, and he was talking about kind of the awareness of it all and, and how it's changed how it he's changed it's changed the way he's looked at things, it's changed the way that his players looked at things. And I think there's been a lot of growth in the program yeah. because of all this stuff that's gone on. I think everything's con- – I think what Brenda's doing is in- incredibly important because it's making – there's more and more conversation and there's more and more education uh, to, to, to young men a- out there. And um, so she's doing an incredible job of continuing the conversation of teaching and, and molding and, 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 you know, teaching appropriate behavior. And, and uh, so uh, definitely, you know, you, I continue to grow. Everybody does. Um, 
you know, from year to year, you know, the, the you know things change and the, the narrative can change, whatever. And then and, and then there's more conversation because of it. And and it is positive that what she's doing, and uh, you know, and I, I think it's only going to affect more positive change. That's a great answer. I mean, it's basically Bob saying, "I'm I'm I'm figuring it out. I'm getting it. I'm I'm learning." what is acceptable and is not acceptable. And the whole country is. I mean, Ray Rice started it. Mm -hmm. To answer my question of what took you so long to have that rule, I think Bob has done a a great job of showing his evolution. You can see it in Bob while talking to him, how he's evolved and is trying. There's effort there that you can see of him trying to make his program better. Um, Some things that he might not have thought about before, that everybody might not have thought about before until it was brought into their consciousness. He's evolving. He's trying. Um, and this was after someone, Brenda Tracy, as you said, Carrie, she she wasn't exactly um, easy on OU after the D.D. Westbrook news. She kind of came after them a little bit, and Bob still had the presence of mind to stay calm. Uh, he didn't attack her. He didn't thr- lash out. He didn't even say no comment. He, he said, I'm appreciating that the conversation's being furthered and that we're continuing this. I thought that was a great answer by Stoops. And it also illustrates why you need to hear from Mixon, because you have to hear how he's evolved and no one has heard Yeah, that. and that's the thing. You want to know that Joe Mixon gets it now that he's growing from this that he's not that he's not just blaming the victim and seeing you know just oh she just wants money from me no I mean, you gotta know I what I did was horrible what I did was wrong I'm better than that guy now and we don't know that because we never get to talk to him that'd be a great thing to hear seems, right. sim- seems simple right all right I think we've been deep enough on this uh this podcast float back to the surface it's uh let's Tell some fart jokes or something again. I tell you, let's let's move on and talk a little bit about recruiting and what's going on there. You're coming down the stretch here. Uh, Oklahoma has been. I, I don't know. Is the best news that happens kind of the Sedarian uh, Lamb just coming out and saying screw everybody? I'm 100 percent to Oklahoma. Josh, is that is that number one on your hot 11 of recruiting news right now? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, you've got to add in the Marquise Brown commitment yeah, news. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so funny because that seems so long ago after what kind of happened on National Juco Signing Day and all that went wrong there for Oklahoma. But at the same time, you're absolutely right. So Darian Lamb, you know, for those that don't follow, we had, you know, I had a chance to go see him in his final game uh, last Saturday. Ended the season with over 2,000 yards receiving, over 30 touchdowns. Uh, was announced, I believe it was last night, as the uh, Houston Touchdown Club's Offensive Player of the Year. So, I mean, just a massive season and a guy that Oklahoma needs him to come in and be ready. And for, for him to just say, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm not messing with you know TCU, A&M, Texas. There were all these rumors he was going to take all these official visits. And they're all coming from the same place, but we won't get into that. A restroom, um, a restroom in College Station. Well, I mean, I don't know if they report live from it, but you know, we know they're familiar with it. Mm-hmm. So, um, but no, you know, so I do think that's a big deal for Oklahoma to have him on board, and you get to just like we talked about. You know, we've talked about it for a few months now. Oklahoma's got so many guys on board. At some point, it plays a huge advantage that hey, we've got these guys with us. Now we can focus on the final few pieces to make this class what we need it to be. Josh, Sedarian Lamb. I know OU's had higher-rated receivers, Trey Matwire, five-star, but with the situation of how good the team's expected to be and the level of receivers that are going to be on the team next year, has there is there going to be or has there ever been more hype than what Sedarian Lamb is going to get coming into his freshman year? Having 32 touchdowns, 2,000 yards in high school, coming in with basically nobody with more than 300 yards receiving on the team left. The only one I can think of is Adrian Peterson, just because there was such a huge need. Everybody knew he was the number one guy in the country and that sort of thing. But as at a receiver, though, no, uh, you're right. As a receiver, I I can't think of one. I mean, you know, because even with Trey, there was that lapse where he had to go to Hargrave and then he came back. And so there was kind of that, well, uh, OK, he's here now. So it kind of squelt some of the enthusiasm for him arriving and then you know like ryan broyles no one saw ryan broyles becoming the guy he became sterling Shepard was a good player but wasn't even the most famous player on his own high school team so you know there's a lot of that but yeah i mean sedarian lamb with all that's been there and obviously walking into a situation where it's not going to be you know him having to learn with a new quarterback he's going to have maybe the best quarterback in the country throwing him passes 
So he just has to go out there and handle his business, and the ball will be where it needs to be. I, you know, I don't want to get crazy, but I mean, there are some very big numbers he's he's capable of putting up next year. Let me ask you, um, with all the receiver stuff going along, is it just a kind of a reminder? You know, with Baylor sucking, with uh, Oklahoma State does what they do, Texas trying to offer pretty much anybody that'll take a scholarship right now. It's it seems like a reminder the last month that TCU is still a very very difficult uh, competitor in the recruiting wars in the state of Texas. They always are, you know, and it's it's never, you know, they're not going to go if OU and TCU offer twenty five of the same other guy, you know, the same guys, and they go head to head and they end up being the final two. OU's going to win that battle twenty times, but. Those five, it's almost always someone painful for OU, like Jalen Rager. That's a that's a painful loss, and you you go and it's the same deal. You know they've uh, Kyle Hicks when they took him away from Texas, he's now their starting running back. You know you, you look around. Who was and the, it's the all, tackle? The uh, was it Barnett? Mm-hmm. Zach Barnett was it? No, it was uh, uh, the kid from uh, oh uh, from uh, the Dallas area. Um, I went and saw him. Skyline. Uh, the oh uh, oh well, there was there was the kid from Skyline, the offensive tackle, Ty Barrett. Ty, Ty Barrett, Barrett. That's what yeah. I'm thinking. Yep. Of, yeah, yep. That, that, that I mean, that, exactly. It's and that was OU was in such bad need for offensive linemen that year, and that they you know it, like I said, so it's not it's something I you know and I don't know it. I hate to. I guess I'm gonna do my old man Josh thing here by quoting hey, another old guy. But it's something I remember Daryl Royal talking about one time, and he was talking about like Houston and TCU, and this is back in the, obviously in the old Southwest Conference days. And he's like, they're kind of like ants. It's not really what they take away; it's what they get into and mess up. So it's not like they're going to kill OU's recruiting class, but they can hurt them in some spots, and they they can be a problem. And that that's kind of what you get. But you're right; it's fun, you know, to go back to kind of something else you said with Texas and Baylor. It's amazing how many offers they are just throwing out. And Baylor, you kind of understand why they're in the situation they're in. But it's amazing that Texas is not getting more traction than they are. You know, Tom Herman offered a player that had been committed to him at Houston forever ago. And basically, the second Houston offered Major Applewhite, the kid tweeted out, I'm good with Houston. I'm going to stay at Houston. I'm not even going to go visit Texas. Like, that's – it's crazy to me that the narrative has become so negative on Texas so quickly. And Herman built the reputation of being this elite recruiter, right? Have have we crossed a tipping point there, or is this just a scenario of he has too little time? Well, right he's now? an elite recruiter because he got Ed Oliver. Or was he even there when Ed Oliver? No, no, he was. He was. Okay. And you know, and it, you, if you, you know, it's not that that's not a big deal, but he's an elite recruiter because he hired Ed Oliver's high school head coach, and Ed Oliver's brother was already there. <laughs> there like, go. I mean, it's it's. You know, I I think that became such a thing that got overlooked. Now, it's worth mentioning that Ed Oliver's former high school head coach is now with him in in Austin and is a a guy kind of like Joey McGuire at Baylor that's got a lot of pull in Houston. Um, McGuire, obviously, in Dallas. So, you know, there's something to be said for that. And don't get me wrong, Tom Herman with a full year, he's going to do just fine at Texas. But I really thought you would see them pick up more traction more quickly uh, even in this short amount of time. High schoolers across the state of Texas are obviously making a statement that they don't like being kissed on the cheek. It's kind of gross, Jeremy. Maybe, yeah. maybe Is there anybody weird. for that? No, that all that seems weird. That's uncomfortable to me. I, I'm not a very, I'm not an openly affectionate guy, though, so I don't know. Herman's just waiting to get his grill shipped up from Houston, and then the recruiting really starts. Does Paul Look, all deliver? The whole <laughs> Has the, to. The whole thing about... You know what he did with the media down there and trying to freeze out radio stations and stuff. I mean, he is not—he's not Mac Brown. That's, that's the opposite of Mac yeah. Brown. He's going to pretend to be Mac Brown and welcome in. I—I I mean, I don't know what happens with this. I mean, Baylor is kind of counteracting his ability to be Mac Brown right now by hiring every high school coach that's in the state of Texas. I, I think you know, and we—I talked about it a lot on Twitter. I mean, Baylor, Baylor's got the home run hire of these two staffs so far. Joey McGuire, that's just because it's not just about always oh, a good high school Texas foot, you know, a high uh, football coach in Texas. Not it's not just that. Joey McGuire, we've all met him. The guy is high, pure oh, yeah. energy. Like he will be a great recruiter. Um, so uh, you know, 
how surprising yeah. was that uh, that he ended up in Waco? I mean, I was flat out shocked when I saw when you sent that to me. I talked to guys on three different Big 12 staffs, and everyone was like, I can't believe he took that job. You know, because it, and it wasn't like a, you know, what the hell are you doing, Joey? It's like, we'd love to have him. You know, like it wasn't a, you know, they understood what Baylor's doing, mm-hmm. but they couldn't believe he would jump on board with Baylor. And I, I get it. I, I don't under, you know, it's, and like I said, Joey's, Joey's a really smart guy and he gets the game. And so, he surely has a plan in place, but I've got to think Baylor made him some pretty serious promises because, you know, a year ago he could have had a Texas job. Yeah. I mean, they, they want now he wanted to watch his son play his final game or his final year at Cedar Hill. So I understood that, but everybody knew this was kind of the year when it was going to become real and Joey McGuire would be a real thing. And with all this talk of 10 coaches becoming on the stat, like all everybody was like, Joey McGuire is going to be one of those guys. And for him to just take Baylor is just really, really surprising to me. What uh, I, I guess we have to hit on it because uh, it's been the it's this year's Armageddon, I guess. But defensive line recruiting just kind of highlight what's gone on. What how how you fans should feel about it? I think I know the answer to that, but. And and what they do from here, I, I this is one of the times you know. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying hey go crazy, but I understand the concern. I mean, it's a valid thing. The thing that I think people keep getting crossed up about is they keep making it about the entire defensive line. Oklahoma returns Matt Romar, Devontae Lampkin, and and Marquise Overton will return next year. And, you know, there were times I thought as a true freshman, Marquise Overton was OU's best nose tackle. So I, that's not a huge deal. What I think is a big deal is defensive end. That, that's, a, that's a concern, and it's made even more so by the Imani Bledsoe situation. So Oklahoma's got to figure some things out. But I think with all the bad news of this week, Josh Pascal going to Kentucky, um, Matt Leo going to Iowa State, and uh, Lee Autry choosing Mississippi State, it kind of has made everybody think, oh, everything's burning down. No, there's still plenty of good options out there. It's just Oklahoma's getting closer and closer to that point of you're just going to have to take a couple bodies rather than these are guys that can actually help us. These guys make a difference. And I, I think the two key guys are Reese Leatow from Jinx, who, you know, from everything I've gathered, Oklahoma's legitimately excited about him. The Tyrese Lott thing, I think everybody thought, oh, they should have offered him months ago. I said it last week. I, I didn't think Tyrese Lott was an OU-level guy. I'm surprised TCU pushed as hard as they did. Um, I think with Leitao, it's different. I think he is a guy that, giving him a year to redshirt, I mean, he needs time, but he can be a he can be a player. At The other side is Taquan Graham, who I also got to see last week uh, go against Sedarian Lamb. And Graham, I, I was shocked how little traction his story got on our board. Because he openly talked about he's going to take an official visit to Oklahoma in January in spite of his Texas commitment. And he also said the very last quote was, basically, I want to love a school, but I'm not going to choose to love it over something that's good for my family if it's a situation that I don't trust. Well, who the hell is he talking about? It's not Oklahoma. He's talking about Texas, and he's not sure if he can trust that situation with their whole staff turnover. And kind of knowing Ed Oliver and some of the promises that were made to him, well, how can I trust Texas to live up to their end if they're not going to live up to it with Ed? So I, I think that's kind of the question for him. So if Oklahoma goes and gets those two guys and maybe can find a Juco D tackle, well, then you get that Juco D tackle in. You maybe you slide Lampkin out to defensive end, and you've got your two young ends, and you're actually not in a bad spot, and you move forward. Like we talked about earlier, Kerry, at quarterback. You mentioned you know Austin Kendall's not running anybody off. Oklahoma starts to develop some depth. But who at that defensive end spot, you know, is going to turn a Rivals 100 guy away from Oklahoma? Who's going to say, oh, I don't want to go in there and compete with that guy? None of those guys. So you still get to go forward with next year with, hey, we got playing time. We got all this stuff here for you. But at the same time, you can run your practices and you have some young talent that could maybe emerge. Problem is you want to win a national championship next year, and it looks really hard to do with the talent level sitting on that defensive line right now. 
I, that's why I think the Juco D tackle is huge because if you can slide Lampkin out, then you've got Lampkin outside, you've got Gallimore outside, you've got some pieces where you can start to work. Now, I agree with you. I, you need Bledsoe to come back. You need some of those things to start to work themselves out. But, yeah, I mean, there, there's no question. They To me, the best scenario for Oklahoma is if they can find a way that Devontae Lampkin can play outside and play defensive end and let Romar and Overton rotate at defensive tackle. And now he probably can't contribute next year, but I think a silver lining um, in this defensive line recruitment is how good Isaiah Thomas looked as a senior, um, earning his fourth star. Or That was Kenneth Mandiner's fourth star, but Isaiah Thomas is a four-star. I thought, I thought he looked great as a senior on tape, and that's something that I think that um, you know, they only getting Amani Bledsoe and Isaiah Thomas so far in back-to-back years makes you kind of start to um, be a little nervous about what you have a defensive line. But I th- both those guys look the part. And I think Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas really improved as a senior um, and gives you something to look forward to down the road. Let me ask you, Josh. Uh, just kind of the class has been together for so long, uh, and Jalen Rager being the one guy that just you know, I, I know you always keep a tab and you always hear kind of things, but. Is there anybody in this class right now that's committed that worries you down the stretch? Because it seems like there's been a really concerted effort by most of these guys to kind of reaffirm through Twitter on a pretty regular basis that they are 100%. The only guy that I kind of have some pause about right now, and it's, it's going to be a guy that OU fans are going to hate hearing this, is Jacob Phillips, uh, the, the linebacker from Tennessee. I continue to hear that LSU is working him really, really hard Ever since Ed Orgeron came on, he's apparently been made a real priority by that staff. Now, I talked to Jacob yesterday. He was like, no, Oklahoma's right for me. <clears throat> he certainly didn't deny that that LSU is involved and is trying to turn his head a little bit. But he, he was clear that OU is where he thinks he should be. But just kind of talking in back channels, I, I think LSU is definitely giving him some things to think about. But – I if you made me pick, I think he sticks with OU, but that's kind of the guy that maybe right now I'd have an eye on. You mentioned with the TCU stuff that it's not always about who they get. It's kind of what they mess up. How much goes on behind the scenes in recruiting of, you know, these? they might not think they can get a guy, but hey, maybe I can tell them something that'll spoil them from going somewhere else. Does that kind of stuff happen? I think to some degree that stuff happens. What I find really interesting, kind of along those same lines, Joe, is when they'll offer a guy they know they can't get, and it's, you know, okay, for example, uh, Texas offering Trey Brown today. How much of that is to get Oklahoma, hey, we've got to go check on Trey Brown, and then Texas to try to slide in with somebody else? Like, I I think that stuff happens constantly. The, the, the gamesmanship in recruiting, I think, is one of the most interesting things you see happen because Texas is not turning Trey Brown. That's not going to happen. So what are they doing with that offer? Are they just throwing it out to you know further saturate their offer list? No. There's something else happening there. They're trying to get something accomplished. And I, I'm always, you know, and it, it's not always the motivation I described just now, but there's usually some ulterior motive, and you it, it's kind of interesting to see what happens. But there is no question that there are times when you'll hear a coach say, Well, we're not gonna get him, but I, I feel like with that pitch we made, neither is so and so. So, and it's not exactly negative recruiting, but it's not exactly far from it either. I think of somebody like Walker Little, who just committed to Stanford today. And if you're, you know, Oklahoma or, you know, somebody who thinks that they're going to have to play Texas and Walker Little, and you, if you have his ear, even if you know he's not coming, I can't see how these coaches would resist the opportunity to say something that would, you know, hey, Walker, here, check out Stanford's numbers compared to Texas's offensive line draft picks. I just, I have to imagine that some of that stuff has to go on. Yeah, you've got to be real careful, though, because, you know, especially in a situation like that one, because Walker and Marvin are good buddies, and Walker goes to Marvin's like, yeah, you know, whoever, you know, whether you want to say it's Oklahoma or Baylor or whoever, they were kind of trying to manipulate me a little bit, because, I mean, it's not just that they're buddies, but Mark Walker, <clears throat> goodness, excuse me, uh, Walker is also just a really sharp kid. You're not going to, like, he's going to pick up on that. Some kids you can kind of pull the strings a little bit but walker little is probably smarter than anybody not probably he's smarter than anybody in this conversation (laughs) so you know that 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 kind of thing like i can remember talking to chase beeler and having the same feeling i'm like man i'm just i'm gonna be as straight up with this guy as i can be because if i try to you know kind of work some information from him he's just gonna laugh at me because he's smarter than i am 
I never enjoyed interviewing Chase Beeler. <laughs> because even though he didn't say it, like you could ask him a question. His answer might as well just... I mean, you could translate his answer to, well, you know, if I'm going to talk to you, you lower life form, I'm going to say this. <laughs> it's just... It's just condescending through through intellect yeah like it was he was never rude at least to me never ever but you were like he knows he's smarter than me and so like i just ended up making a joke of it because i was like we both know the reality here so let's at least laugh about it how's uh, how's he different than uh jeff mead because jeff Mead's someone you can talk to and you can just tell he's probably smarter than you are um i don't get mm -hmm. a condescending vibe from jeff but i was just curious i didn't talk to chase ever how was that different at all yeah, Jeff. Jeff's very personable. Like he, very, like I feel like Jeff can relay his thoughts. Maybe you know, Carrie could probably talk about it as well. But I you felt like joke with Chase, with, you can joke. He just kind of offered you what he had. You can joke with Jeff a little bit. Yeah, and he'll laugh. Chase just didn't. He wasn't interested in humor. I mean, it was like I think we we had a conversation one time about you know life after football and politics and stuff, and it, it was it basically turned into well. I can't really teach you everything I know about politics in this conversation, but here's your answer. Well, it looks like he's still trying to find his way in politics. Haven't seen him been voted for anybody. <laughs> so take that. I think Kerry could run. Is that a sentence? Up. I'm not sure you get to diss him with that level of English. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm just saying. I'm, I'm still waiting to see his name on a uh, on a ballot. I think. Kerry, no, Kerry I bet. Kerry. I bet he watches House of Cards. Probably like taking notes just goes over it time and time again uh, here's a question for you josh what if anything does luke fickle to cincinnati mean i think it's interesting i, I definitely think it has some role with He's marvin the wilson ohio state defensive coordinator that took yeah, the uh, cincinnati sorry. job no that yeah. was my fault for not setting it up right but because you knew i wasn't gonna um but no with I, I think with Marvin, it's probably a pretty interesting conversation just because he's an overseer and he's been, I think, in my opinion, a little more involved with Marvin's recruitment than he has the other guy that everybody's talking about, and that's Jeff Akuda. Now, when the word came out that he was going to bring Kerry Coombs with him to be his defensive coordinator, then things would have gotten really interesting with Akuda. But since then, Coombs has kind of shot that down. It sounds like that's not going to happen. So... I I don't think it plays a big role with Akuda. Now, I I still can't help but wonder if at some point his relationship with Oklahoma's uh, commitments and as many times he's been to Norman, like, you wonder if that, you know, maybe OU just shocks everybody. But, boy, I don't see it. I, I still think he ends up at Ohio State. With Marvin, uh, again, I think Fickle was very involved. I think being the defensive coordinator, and though he wasn't the play caller, He's still, he's kind of like, you know, like Mike Stoops and Brent Venables used to be. He was the young one and very active in recruiting and that kind of thing while, you know, Greg Schiano and Mike Stoops called the plays. So I, I think that was what you saw, that kind of dynamic between uh, Greg Schiano and Fickle. But with Marvin, I, I still, I, I'm telling you, I think this thing comes down to LSU and OU. I really do. I think Texas A&M's involved, and I think Ohio State's a possibility but I just don't see him going that far from home, and I, I, I like where Oklahoma has a chance to be because LSU, for all of their you know greatness on defense, there's a lot of questions about Ed Orgeron, and Marvin's a smart enough guy to see some of them. Interesting. Uh, well, anybody going to see uh, Star Wars this weekend? No. I, I, oh, I wouldn't think you, Eddie. I've never seen. I've never seen Star Wars. Shut up! Just, just stop, stop! Stop! Stop talking! <sighs> stop it! S space is Don't, so you're stupid. You're not going to crap on Star <laughs> space Wars. Is stupid. Space <laughs> is unbelievably stupid. <laughs> NASA Eddie, is NASA uh, is the biggest this waste is of money. Fireable. If you don't stop, Eddie, you are going to lose about half of your supporters. <laughs> I disagree because there is no one that has more support on the Crimson Quarter with the podcast and Eddie right now, I'm just telling you, you, you with that statement, if you keep one, if you want to keep saying things like that, you're going to lose some of your audience. Money could have been spent else elsewhere. If we just scrapped NASA, it, oh, it saved everybody a lot of money, but that would also lead into my next question of the world. 
No, actually, it's not even a question. It's a statement, it's a and it's something segue. that I've been talking to uh, my roommate about, and he's kind of sold it on me. I think the Earth might be flat. Okay, That's that, a, people actually believe that now. I I'm not convinced that it's round, and I'm I mean, it also goes into the kind of the Stevie Wonder can see thing too, though. So I'm I'm down for the Stevie Wonder can see thing. I'll How in the hell is the Earth flat? You can see the shadow it, on the moon. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that goes into it, and I would have to uh, I'd have to present it in the next podcast. <laughs> Eddie, would you say you're susceptible to a good conspiracy theory? I love conspiracy theories. <laughs> okay, and I do too. I'm with. Uh, that's not a diss. Eddie's that's, moved I, I beyond conspiracy theories. I find them fascinating. Yeah. You are on the verge of being a truther. Maybe. You you, I would say that you support truthers, for the most like part. The, yeah. The the idea of being a truther. Is not detestable to you. I mean, we can definitely someday, maybe during the off season, we'll go over Stevie Wonder, Tower Seven. Uh, we need an off-topic podcast. Yeah, there's there, there's a lot yeah, of stuff that we can get into that I that I find very interesting. And I I'm starting. No, I'm starting to think that the Earth might be flat. Oklahoma with Eddie Radosevich. Oklahoma. Yeah. It, it'd be <laughs> like uh, it'd be like it's a great state or what, but. With uh, with other things, sorry, Galen Culver, I'm taking your segment. We're not inviting guests, your guest, over to my house. <laughs> I'll record. I'll record and bring in, bring in audio. Yeah, we're not we're not using our equipment for that. <laughs> I can use my phone for that kind of stuff. <laughs> We Eddie do, just wants the truth out there. We do need to have like a, a corporate retreat sometime to where we just get drunk and do a podcast. We go to Vegas and do a podcast. And we'll sit on it for like a week and listen to it, just decide if we really want to release this to the world. 2.30 in the morning, 10 drinks in, do a podcast and just see what happens. Put it in a safe somewhere. I'm telling you, I stayed at the Venetian last time. Those rooms are massive. Or it wasn't that. What's next to the Venetian? It wasn't the Venetian... It's whatever the uh, new, new no, the no. other half of it is now, like the Palazzo or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly yeah. Is that's, it the Palazzo? Uh, let's see that one, and then you've got Paris. Or is that Enrico Palazzo? I'm, God, I don't know. It's I been a few no years idea. since I've been to Vegas. My memory's fading on me a little bit. Well, that's I mean, you can only go to Vegas every few years. I've only, I haven't been since I was 13 years old. Didn't really get the full experience then. I do remember that. Are you it, Amish? No, uh, I just we've, we've had I don't this. Go like, jo- that's that's crazy to me. That's where I had my bachelor party. Uh, I had my- I threw a bachelor party there. It was fantastic. I've only been to Vegas once. There's this one guy there named Andy. I didn't know him, but he worked with uh, my my friend that was getting married, and I was the best man, so I threw the party. And uh, he was a he was a very he was a big time family man. He wasn't he wasn't about that Vegas life. And so we went to the strip club, and he loved it. Like, he was like, <laughs> he, he really was kind of like, you know, the hangover for him because he finally let loose. And so he, he decided to go ahead and pay a girl to take him to the VIP room. And so he, he did it. He was freaked out the whole night after that, and we couldn't figure out what was going on. And so... This is a true story. So Clifton, my best friend, God, I hope his wife doesn't listen to this. <laughs> he, uh, I haven't even changed names. I'm so We're bad at this. this and, Mark. And, and this is and this is a legitimate Billy. best friend. This isn't this my isn't best one friend, of seven. Jim. <laughs> uh, so he he he's like, dude, you're being a drag. Like, what happened in the VIP room? And so apparently he had like a small cut on his leg. And <laughs> his wish for the girl was to take her panties off and slide down his leg. And then he was consumed with the fact that now he might have AIDS for like the rest of the night. <laughs> and us being the bastards that we are, we were like, oh, yeah, you can definitely get AIDS that way. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't until like we were really bad. It wasn't until the next morning at breakfast where we were like, dude, you do not have AIDS. <laughs> If you snort this, you won't have AIDS, though. <laughs> it was a simpler time. <sighs> that, so is that what's going to happen when we go to Vegas? Is that what we're saying? 
I don't think I feel comfortable going to a strip club with you guys. Why not? Well, Carrie can sit it out. I'll I'll take you guys. So far, I've I've only really been uh, drinking or whatever with uh, Eddie and Josh that one time when we were in Atlanta, right? The, the mm-hmm. Dave and Buster's kind of thing. Yep. And oh yeah. We we could probably hang at a place like Vegas. I think I think we could make it. That'd be fun. Oh. Do I have to pay There's... for all the rooms? <laughs> we're gonna get four separate rooms. We can all bunk together in one room. That'll make it easier. Just bump up subscriptions to twenty bucks and don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> That'll go well. <laughs> Let's hope no subscribers are listening to yeah. this. Plan. <laughs> They've already tuned out. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, I, hopefully, yeah. All right, I think we've killed the podcast. So that's going to do it for this edition. Uh, I don't. I'm not even going to pimp anything this week. I'm just going to say that's read it. up on Flat Earth. <laughs> I'll put up some links. <laughs> Look at the shadow on the moon tonight did you just like i'm gonna talk about how earth is flat on the podcast today did you like plan that no it's just a, been running through your head it's a big topic around the uh radosevich household God. you've seen pictures from space yeah they're that, not made up that could be a soundstage in los angeles there's God, n- there's no it. there's no proof that those are real photos what about the <sighs> i'm not gonna get drawn into this <laughs> oh the astronauts that the the government has told you made it to Mars. <laughs> what about the, the moon? Okay, wait, wait. What about the Red Bull guy? He wasn't working for the government. Who? The guy that went up in the weather balloon. That, oh, I don't that did the jump. I don't know if that's real. That can be that can be done in a on a soundstage. You, you think Red Bull faked that guy diving? They could have from yeah. the edge of space. Absolutely. I have a feeling the people that believe these things give the government a lot more credit on this issue than they do on other issues. Now I think that Eddie's the reason Trump's in office. <laughs> All right. Believe me, I'm not. That's <laughs> going to do it for this edition of the Unofficial 40. I don't know what the hell that last 10 minutes was. No one's listening anyway. Uh, no politics. You're all banned. But uh, <laughs> we're going to get tongue lashings for this. <laughs> it was one sentence. Thank you to Josh McQuistian, who's back in his studio. Thank you to Joe Duvall, who is here in the studio. Eddie... Whatever. <laughs> I'm Carrie Murdoch. Bye. We'll see you guys next time on the Unofficial 40.